It is wonderful to be with you all this evening. If I have not had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Carter. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossbridge, and I'm excited for what is coming up in the life of our church in the next couple weeks. Just want to encourage you, come out to the Super Bridge Bowl tomorrow or next Sunday at 10:30 a.m. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be fun. And the Super Bowl party afterwards here, it's always one of the greatest Sunday nights of the year. As everybody brings a dish to share, we're going to have the Super Bowl playing. We will end uh, the service before 6.30. Kickoff is at 6.30. And uh, it's perfect. It's the best place to be. There's no greater party in all of Miami than 5 p.m. across Bridge Brickle next week. Amen? Hey, also, I do want to give one other shout out because it's really close to my heart um, for the February 17th, I'm going to say a little bit more about this later at the end of our service, but the February 17th event, the Multi-Faith Family Picnic in partnership with Link, which is Love Your Neighbor Community, and I'm going to shout out uh, Wade, who's in the back. Wade, can you raise your hand? Wade leads uh, Link, Love Your Neighbor Community. Can we thank Wade for all of his work? He works in uh, religious freedom all over the world. We just did a project that we're going to let you know about on Sunday, some of the stories where we were uh, supporting a Christmas party that you, many of you wrote letters for in Ukraine in one of the refugee camps that he led with uh, a group of people uh, over Christmas. He's going to share some stories from that. But this is an opportunity on February 17th for you to actually tangibly demonstrate the love of Jesus to people. You see, you cannot show someone love if you don't know them. We cannot extend the love of Jesus to our Muslim neighbors here in Miami if we don't know them. And this is an opportunity for us to come together and get to know them and their stories. And not to mention the food is going to be amazing. It's going to be Syrian, Indian, Afghani, Pakistani, and Lebanese food. That, that's, if that doesn't sell you, you haven't tried that food, okay? So I hope you can be there. I'm going to tell you a little bit more later, but there's so many exciting things happening in the life of our church in this month, and I'm glad you're here this evening for episode five of our series, God First. We started this at the beginning of the year, as I've been saying, to set the trajectory and the pace and the course for our church, for all of us collectively together this year. We want God to challenge us through his word of whether or not we have put him first in the key things in our life, the things that we value. We've talked about time. We've talked about influence. And tonight, we're going to talk about something that we value, and that is money. Ready? God first with your money. Now, if this is your first time here tonight, welcome to Crossbridge Brickle. You're on a rocket ship here this evening in terms of this talk. This is such an interesting Uh, topic in the life of the church. And and I feel it as a pastor because there's a lot of perceptions about the church's relationship to money. In fact, many people, maybe this is you, they hesitate to come to church or to get engaged with church because they think that the church is just out for their money. I'm going to tell you something that is not true of this church. It has never been and it never will be. We are after your heart for Jesus. Our mission statement is that we want to help connect your life to Jesus. And that is why we're stepping into this topic. In fact, I can't even remember the last time I've preached on money, which also is probably a problem. Because if you look at Jesus, when he taught in the scriptures, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the New Testament, he taught on a whole host of things. When he spoke about the kingdom of God. 
In fact, Jesus taught 39 parables, and 11 of the 39 were on money. If I preach on money as often as Jesus did, I wouldn't have a church. You'd be like, another topic, another discussion on money? But Jesus spoke about it often. Why? I was asking myself that question this week. Why was Jesus consistently talking about money? I have to believe that it's because Jesus, who's God in the flesh, the Savior of the world, that knows the hearts of people, he he knew that the people that he was speaking to, his disciples, the followers of him, as well as the crowds that were gathering to hear what he would say, that they have a dysfunctional relationship with money. And so do we. This needs to be a topic that is normalized, that doesn't make us uncomfortable, Because here's the truth, ready? Money is just money. It's just a tool that God gives to us to use for his glory, and it's a gift. We need to normalize the conversation and not feel uncomfortable about it. Because Jesus was seeking to alter our relationship with something that can so easily become an idol and cause all types of damage to our life, and we don't even see it. I hope that's what you see tonight as we read Jesus' words on the topic of money. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. This is Jesus when he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever delivered. And Jesus has a section, pretty significant section, on money or wealth or treasure. Here's what he says in Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy. Some of you are used to moth and rust in other translations. Just so you know, side comment, it's not rust. It's actually vermin or a creature, like some type of small insect creature, but that's a totally, that's for the nerds in the room. Moth or vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I want to break this down by looking at a very key verse as Jesus speaks on money. If you notice in the Sermon on the Mount, it's topic after topic after topic, and these verses are connected together. They may feel like some of them are disjointed. We'll get into that. But these, it's one connected thought. Verse 21 is key. Here's what verse 21 says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want to make notice of something. Jesus doesn't say, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Now, he could say that, and I think that's true. Our heart guides where we put our treasure. But Jesus calls us to evaluate where our treasure is so that we can discover where our heart is. I think that's because we so easily justify the decisions that we make in life by believing the best about our heart, especially in relationship to money. So for instance, we may look at where our 
treasure is, where it's invested, how, what our budget looks like, what our spending looks like, what our giving looks like, what our charity looks like. And we may say, I only view money as a means to an end. I have a good thing in mind, like saving for my future. I have a good thing in mind, which is helping support my children. I have a good thing in mind, which is storing up and investing well so I can be generous in the future. Whatever it is, we have these things in mind that are good things. And then we justify the way that we spend money and use money and how we store up treasure because we are making a judgment on our heart and sometimes we're misguided. Jesus says, I want you to look very practically, where is your treasure? What are you storing up? Here's the idea. The aim of your money reveals the love of your heart. The aim of your money reveals the love of your heart. I was reading this this week and it stirred in me that Jesus is almost like saying, check your budget, check your spending, check your charity. Where is your money primarily directed? Now we live in Miami and all of us are gonna say, rent, right? I guess my heart is after rent or a mortgage because it is expensive in Miami. Can I get an amen? It is. But Jesus is not talking about amounts. He's not saying, look at your budget and figure out where your greatest expense is. That's where your heart is. Because all of us in this room, our heart would be towards rent or our mortgage. He's asking you to consider not the amount, but the prioritization. There are expenses that you pay. There are things that are big expenses, paying off student debt, paying for your rent, paying for utility bill, all these different things. He's asking, what is the aim of your money? How do you prioritize money? Because as you really evaluate that and ask hard questions, it's going to reveal to you what your heart really loves. Essentially, Jesus is calling us to ask, where am I in your treasure, in your resources, in your money, in your giving? Where is God and his kingdom in the prioritization of your finances? And then we move on to verse 22 through 23, because Jesus has said, I want you to understand something, that when you try to store up treasures on earth, it's pointless because they're temporary and they will be destroyed. They will wither away, they will die, they'll be stolen. But when you store up treasures in heaven... They will not be destroyed. They will last for all eternity. They will not be stolen. It is the greatest investment you can make. And then he shifts to this verse, these two verses actually, that feel so out of place. He says this. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you Is darkness, how great is that darkness? And then right after this, Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one, you'll despise the other. You can't serve God and money. When you're reading this, you feel like, Jesus, what, what happened there? You were talking about storing up treasures in heaven and earth. Now you're talking about the eye, like healthy eyes, unhealthy eyes, being guided by the light and darkness. And then you jump right back to talking about God and money. Why did you insert this here, Jesus? 
It's because he's connecting the workings of your eye to how you navigate through life. Here's what he's saying. Healthy eyes navigate through the darkness of life well because they can take in the light and follow the light. So for instance, if you were to walk into a dark room, if you have healthy vision, you could see the light that comes on in the room and you could use the light as it floods your eyes to navigate the darkness of the room. You'll consume the light, you'll be able to see well, you'll be able to navigate your way through the darkness of a room. On the other side of it, if your eyes are unhealthy, if your vision is skewed, it doesn't matter if the entire room is full of light. If you can't see it, you're in darkness. He's speaking about vision, what you're focused on. If you're focused on the right things in relationship to your treasure, who you're devoted to, God or money, you will be able to distinguish light from darkness. You'll be able to take in the light and navigate your way through life effectively. But if you have an unhealthy relationship with this treasure that you're storing up, if you don't see clearly of whether or not you serve God or money, you will struggle to navigate through life because you don't realize your eyes are unhealthy and you can't even see that you're in a room full of light. All you see is darkness. Oh, how great the darkness is. The question that Jesus is saying here is, do you see clearly regarding money or are you going blind? Do you see clearly regarding money or are you going blind? I believe that materialism makes you blind to materialism. Materialism makes you blind to materialism. Here's what materialism is, ready? An unregulated desire on money and material things. It's unregulated desire on money for money or material things. And the the difficulty is, is that when you begin to feed the monster of greed and materialism, it causes your vision that maybe at one time was healthy to become unhealthy and you don't even recognize that you don't see the light anymore. And you can't navigate well. It's dangerous to navigate in the darkness. And that is because greed and materialism are eye sins. They are different from other sin in life. For instance, if you are unkind to somebody, you know you are. If you cheat, you know you cheat. If you steal, you know you stole. Almost every other sin that I can think of, you know you're doing it. You know you have a problem with it. If you ever get together with a group of friends in, in a small group, in a Bible study, and you begin to be vulnerable, you're able to share, hey, I struggle with fill in the blank. Because you know it, but greed and materialism is different. We don't often notice it. We don't often realize that our eyes are becoming unhealthy and we're going blind. We don't see clearly. Most of us, do not think we struggle with greed and materialism. And maybe, as we started talking about this tonight, you thought, this isn't for me. I don't struggle with greed. I'm not materialistic. Most people do not identify as greedy or materialistic. You know why? Because we are always comparing ourselves to other people that have more money than us and more stuff than us. 
And so we're like, I can't possibly be greedy or materialistic because I clearly see other people that are. It takes all about one second for us to think that when we go on Instagram. Oh, they have more money than me. They are overindulging. They have more stuff. I, that's not me. Of course it's not me. I want to tell you something. This is so interesting. I, I was racking my brain this week. I've been in ministry for 17 years. I can only remember one person in all of ministry that has told me that they struggle with greed. One. I mean, how often do you hear people say, I'm greedy. I'm really materialistic. It's not something that we talk about often. We don't see it for ourselves. And there's a really important truth that we need to understand. Greed and materialism doesn't equal bank account balance. So it's not like, well, only greedy and materialistic people are people that have a lot of money. You can be rich and be greedy. You could be poor and be greedy. You can have all types of opportunities and resources available to you and be materialistic. You can be a minimalist and be materialistic. It's not about how much stuff you have. It's not about how much money is in your bank account. And Jesus is calling us to ask hard questions of ourselves because greed and materialism is an eye sin that we don't see our eyes getting unhealthy. And now we're navigating through life, but we don't see clearly. We're going blind and it's dangerous and it's difficult. And most of us don't recognize it in ourselves. We don't. So Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to diagnose by asking some questions of yourself. Where are you storing up treasure? On earth or in heaven? What are your eyes focused on? The light or the darkness? I asked these two questions this week. One, where's my focus in life? Is my focus in life in the accumulation of riches for myself and my family or in being rich in God? What, how does a prioritization work? Secondly, what am I looking to move my life toward? This is a challenging one. Ready? What am I looking to move my life toward? Is it an early enough retirement where there's plenty of finances available for a comfortable, leisurely life with a lot of travel and great food and great wine and the opportunity to kind of do all the things that you've wanted to do, and you're going to rest, and you're going to sit on a, a balcony, and you're just going to sit back and look over your life and think of how many things you've been successful in and take joy in that. I'm not saying that's bad. But is that where you are moving towards, or is what is consuming your mind? Okay, retirement, fine. Comforts, leisure, travel, great wine, amen, wonderful. Enjoying your successes in life, great. But is it more important than you looking at the end of your life and saying, I sought to store up treasures in heaven. I was willing to make hard sacrifices for the benefit, not of myself, but for the benefit of others. And I cannot wait to meet my Savior and look back on my life and see how God used me to affect and transform other people's lives. And I don't even know. Because those investments are not rotting. They're not stolen. It's what you celebrate for all eternity. See, Jesus is calling us to consider where we have placed value. Is it in God or money? Is it in our Savior or is it in stuff? And I want to be really clear. It doesn't mean, and Jesus never says, 
that money is bad. It's not bad. Comforts are not bad. Leisure is not bad. Travel and great food isn't bad. Being encouraged by your successes is not bad. These are gifts to you. Saving up for your future and being wise with your money is not bad. It's wisdom. The issue is not the physical amount of money or the stuff that you accumulate. The issue is the heart. Jesus never says, don't buy these, this kind of car. Don't buy that dress. Don't invest in that savings account. He never says that. His issue is our heart. It's where we place value. He's considering us to ask ourselves where we're seeking to store up treasure. What are we focused on? Is our eye healthy? And when we think about the trajectory of our life and what we're moving towards, are we saying, God, I want to move towards your vision that is guided by your word, or am I trying to move towards my vision that's been created by my passions? It's a hard question to ask. But we have to normalize this conversation because the blindness of greed and materialism has all types of detrimental effects. I just thought of a couple, but we could add so many more. For instance, here's one that I see all the time. It is people choosing jobs for a paycheck, not because they're called to it. It's choosing a job because it gives you more money, not because you're passionate about it or you believe that God has given you gifts for it. It's hard. It's keeping your thoughts to yourself when you're in a company or an environment where you see completely unethical behavior and you see exploitation, but you don't say anything because you don't want to jeopardize your position. It's not questioning how you spend your money because every one of us is always evaluating and comparing ourselves to other people and there's always someone that is farther along that's more successful, that has more money and has more stuff. And so most of us in this room do not believe ourselves to be rich because there's always another level. And then there's a sense of superiority. You know, one of the things that is is such a dangerous thing to believe that is culturally true is that if you are financially secure, if you have financial wealth, you are not only economically superior, you're just superior to other people. That is so dangerous and so wrong. All of this right here leads to a stunted generosity in us. It leads to these kind of thoughts. Ready? I'll give more when I make more. I know rich people, and the rich people are the ones that should give. They're the ones that should step up. They're the ones that should support these different initiatives or the church or different opportunities or help that people out. I'm not there yet. When I'm there one day, then I will be generous as well. We think about our life like we're climbing stairs, Like there's levels to life and we all have goals and we're all thinking about our career and our families and our investments and our opportunities. And we're like, I am trying to keep getting up to the next level. And so I'm stepping up every stair and I'm making sacrifices and disciplines to get to the next level of life. And when it becomes money and giving or being generous, many of us think like this. We think, when I get to that level, I'm going to be generous. I have big dreams of generosity and how I'm going to care for people and serve people and support people and step into the church. But I'm not there yet. So right now, I have to be really tight. I got to be wise. I got to invest here. I gotta, I'm doing all this now so that when I get there, I'll be generous. Guess what happens when you, quote unquote, get there? There's somewhere else to get. 
there's always somewhere else to get because we're not climbing up stairs in life. You're on a stair climber and you never get to the top level. There's always another step. There's always something else. There's always someone else above you. There's always more resources, more opportunities, more things. This is a great example of how your eyes at one time may have been healthy. They begin to become unhealthy. And you don't see the light. Here's some illustrations that prove it. There was a study that took place in UC Berkeley with a psychologist who brought together a whole bunch of adults and he had this big long questionnaire where he asked them all these questions. One of the questions he asked them was what is their annual income? And then he gathered them together and he said, I'm giving you 10 credits. Each of these credits has a dollar amount associated with it. Could be $10, could be $100, could be $1,000. You have one choice to make. How many of the 10 credits are you going to give to someone you don't know that you've never met? And how many are you going to keep? However many you keep, whatever the dollar amount is, it will be credited to you and you will leave this study with that cash in your pocket. And whatever you give, that dollar amount will be given to someone that you may never meet. So they ran this study, they ran this survey, and then they looked at the back end, who gave what compared to their income. Those that were categorized as on the lower bracket of income, they gave 44% more than the middle class and upper class. They gave more credits away to people and kept less for themselves. In fact, there was another study in England and Wales where they followed 100,000 adults for 10 years and tracked their generosity and their charity. Check this out. The poorest 20% of those 100,000 adults gave 3.2% of their income to charity. The richest 20% gave 0.9. And the middle class, 60% of that number, gave roughly 2%. Every study, you can go study on study on study, oftentimes what you find is the most generous people are the people that have the least. And it's not to say that you can't be greedy and can't be materialistic when you have little, but sometimes what happens is you increase in wealth and you increase in resources and you increase in investments and you increase in diversifying your portfolio and you do all these things, your eyes become unhealthy and you don't see the effect that it has had on you. And without realizing it, you're serving God, not God, but money. It's a scary reality. Jesus has this haunting parable in Luke, as if you're asking for more. And he says that there's this man who, he makes all this money because he has a huge harvest. Banner year. And he doesn't know what to do with all of the wealth that he's accumulated, so he decides to tear down his barns and build bigger ones so he can store it all and protect it so no one can steal it and it can accumulate over time and he can use it wisely. And then he sits back and he can eat and he can drink and he can be merry because look what he's done. He's been so wise. I mean, it's actually smart business. Have a big year, protect your money, put it in different places, let it work for you, and then you can relax. You can sit and eat and drink and be merry. And And Jesus says, To this man in the parable, you fool, tonight your life was demanded of you, and you are not going to take any of this stuff with you. 
He talks about this sad reality of trying to store up treasures on earth and they do not remain. You know, you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. We don't take it with us. But God gives us an opportunity to invest our resources, our treasure, in places that will last forever to be rich in God. And again, Jesus is not concerned with amounts and he's not demonizing money at all. He is hoping, helping us to see that our finances and our treasure, our resources are connected to purpose and trust and purity of heart. His concern for you and for me is that we do not see the very thing killing us, which is greed and materialism. You know, one of the main questions I get all the time <clears throat> when it comes to giving is on tithing. Tithing is a, a biblical principle found primarily in the Old Testament, which says that we're to give 10% of our income or our wages, what we earn, to God before anything else. To give 10% before the government, before spending, before anywhere else, we give the first 10% to God. And a lot of people come to me and they say, listen, I understand that tithing was a biblical principle in the Old Testament, but we don't see a lot of discussion about tithing in the New Testament. Jesus references it one time, but most of the discussion in the New Testament is that we are to give generously as a cheerful giver, not under compulsion. So do I need to tithe? Let me tell you the truth. Okay, you ready? You don't have to tithe. You don't. Jesus has freed us from being under the law. He has fulfilled the law in himself. The tithe is not required of you. But <laughs> Jesus calls you to much more than the tithe. In fact, he calls you to radical generosity. He calls you to see everything that you have, all of your time, all of your talent, all of your influence, all of your treasure as his, and to give it all to him, and to be cheerfully willing to give it to the places of need. In fact, I say this all the time, and I believe this to be true. The tithe, which is Old Testament principle that I think is still a New Testament reality, is wisdom. It may not be required of you, but it is wisdom because it is a shield against greed and materialism. It is not easy. It is a sacrifice. When you give 10% of your income back to God, it challenges your purposes in life. It challenges what you prioritize. It challenges what you value. It challenges where you store up treasure. And let me tell you this. I've never met one single person in my life that ties and says, I wish I didn't. I've never met someone that says, I seek to give 10% as a floor, but I know God calls me to more, so I'm looking for opportunities to be radically generous because God's given it all to me, but they say, I kind of want to go down to 8%. I've never seen that because I really do believe that tithing is wisdom. It's a shield against greed and materialism. It helps us to see more clearly if this has taken root in our heart and affected our spiritual vision. I want to show you a video tonight of someone in our church who has been challenged by radical generosity and made a video to remain anonymous and to share it with you about their story and interaction with greed and materialism. 
and how God has called them to fight against it, to shield against it, and what God's done in their life. So check out this video. Let me start by quoting a group of wise and philosophical Shaolin monks known as the Wu-Tang Clan. CREAM, C-R-E-A-M. Acronym for cash rules everything around me. Get the money. As a kid reciting these lyrics, I had no idea what I was saying. Still, this concept of money providing everything I believed would make me happy became a theme I consistently observed throughout my life. As I got older, it became a way of life for me. Maybe I wasn't all that different from Wu-Tang after all. Whether I knew it or not, I was a someone with a dream with plans to make cream. Money made an impact on me. I noticed that most of the time my parents were arguing. It had to do with money. I recall having to wear a yellow t-shirt underneath my team's yellow basketball jersey for a game in elementary school. Instead of wasting money buying a yellow shirt, my mom decided to color one of my white shirts with food coloring. As the game went on, I got sweatier, and the more the yellow food coloring rubbed off, the more it dyed my skin yellow. In college, I envied those whose parents fully covered tuition. I spent my free time working part-time jobs to cover expenses, while others appeared to be stress-free and could focus all their energy on school and having fun. Cream. Cash rules everything around me. In middle school, we all had to take a career guidance class. I remember telling my teacher I no longer needed the class because I had decided to become an investment banker since that was the highest paying position in the textbook. Over the years, I created a false narrative that money was the solution. I eventually ended up in the financial services and investment banking industry. During my first job, I spent countless hours behind a computer, updating spreadsheets and presentations, and poof, we would close a transaction and make money. In certain professions, it's relatively more concrete for you to measure your success. If you are a teacher, you can see your students' progress throughout the school year. If you're in the medical field, you can measure how quickly and accurately you can diagnose and improve a medical condition. A carpenter can touch and feel its end product. As an investment banker, one facilitates financial transactions and, in the meantime, generates money. But in my mind, I wasn't doing it for the money. I was being a steward of my talents and striving to give my best in a role God had given me and making money was just a byproduct. The reality is that I was manipulating God's truth to justify my greed, selfishness, and love for money. Cream at its max. Not only did cash rule everything around me, but I also allowed it to lead my relationship with God. Having grown up in the church, I was always uncomfortable with Matthew's passage stating, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man entering heaven. It was very unsettling, Given my desire to go to heaven and my obsession with becoming rich, I knew my heart was full of greed and I had an unhealthy relationship with money. I recognized that money was my primary idol. Only by God's grace did I realize that my continued worshiping of money would lead to a life of empty promises, false expectations, shallow relationships, discontentment, and eventually my hatred of God. The Bible says that you cannot serve God and money. You will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. This realization led to my commitment and, if I'm honest, sort of an experiment. After all, in Micah 3 verse 10, God said, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. So. I committed to combating my greed and love for money with generosity by giving the church 10% of my total earnings. And for every year God allowed me a job, 
I also gave an additional 1% of what I called extra giving. I err on the side of action regarding opportunities to become more intentionally generous. Whether the church was raising money for a mission trip, a co-worker was fundraising for his child's soccer team, or after encountering someone in a challenging situation, I said yes. I'm now 13 years into this promise and giving away 23% of my income. I gave 1% extra per year, and my earnings increased an average of 30% yearly. My family and I are a testament to the fact that when you honor God with your finances, He will bless you beyond the wildest desires of your heart and expectations. I feel free, at peace, and secure in God because money no longer dictates my life decisions. Our family belongs to an enriching community of meaningful relationships and lifelong friends that we made here at Crossbridge over the years. God has given us comfort and direction in making critical family decisions in pivotal moments. I am thankful that God continues to care for our family and bless our souls under Carter's shepherdship. Cream is, in fact, the reality. Christ, not cash, rules everything around me. We often take lyrics out of context. The belief in popular culture is that this song and the idea of cream are inspirational anthems about getting rich and the power and glamour that come with wealth. However, this song was inspired by a letter from a friend in jail who points out that in his pursuit of money, life felt no different inside or outside prison. Cream highlights how the hopeless quest for money traps many in corruption and poverty. Maybe most of us can't relate to a criminal lifestyle. Still, the desperate pursuit of money will lead to a heart of corruption and poverty. Let Christ, not cash, rule everything around you. Let me start by quoting a group of... Amen. Can we give a round of applause? <clears throat> Unbelievable. You know, I was thinking when I saw this video uh, of one, one statement, and that's this. Don't aspire to make a living, aspire to make a difference. Many of us can be so consumed with aspiring to make a living instead of thinking about how God wants to use us in our places and positions and the finances he's given us, the opportunities, the resources, the treasure to make a difference. You know, the only, thing, the only time in the entire Bible where God tells us to test him is with our money. That's a challenge. The only place. And God has promised to be faithful and to honor us and to support us as we take these steps that are not easy. And, and I want to encourage you this evening because the, the truth is this. This conversation needs to be normalized in the church. We need to think about how we can not just be people aspiring to make a living, but people aspiring to make a difference, where we see all that we have as a gift from God to be used for his glory. And there are other really important things in life that we should invest in and we should be wise and we should be shrewd and we should care for the different things, but God should be first in our money. He should be first. Sometimes we don't see, but we've pushed him out of the equation. And Jesus' words are a challenge to us. And I want to give you four kind of steps of giving for you to consider. And I, I, I pray and I hope that you're moved to dream about becoming the last, the fourth level. The first level is this, an initial giver. This is someone that says, maybe I, I'm evaluating myself and I, was, I realize that I, I don't give at all. I don't support different opportunities. I don't engage in giving in different places that are before me. What would it look like for me to start there? Remember, Jesus is not after our amount. He's after our heart. 
beginning to put the shield up against greed and materialism, believing that it's because of God's goodness, not because of compulsion. Please do not give because a person tells you, but because the goodness of God moves you. Secondly, if you're an initial giver, what does it look like to move to a consistent giver? To say, I'm going to actually now give periodically, from periodically to more consistently. I'm going to have reoccurring gifts. I'm going to have a spiritual discipline. I'm actually going to spend time with God in prayer, reading his word and saying, God, can you reveal to me what it looks like for me to be consistent and put you first in my money, in my finances, in my treasure, in my resources? And maybe the Lord there leads you to say, I want to begin to build that shield against greed and materialism by moving towards a tithe as a floor of giving. And then from there, you move to the third level, which is an abundant giver. I know many people in this church that are at this place where you have believed and seen that God uses a 10% as a floor of giving and as a shield against greed and generosity, or a shield against materialism and greed, but actually this is just the beginning place. What does it look like to ask God big questions of how he wants to use all the things that he's given you in your life for him? What does it look like to take next steps? You know, I always think about what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says that we should be people that are seeking to excel in the gift of giving by grace. And then lastly, moving to becoming a generational giver. This is shocking generosity. This is generosity like you saw in the video. Starting at 10% and over the course of 13 years moving to 23%. Taking advantage of opportunities that are presented, saying yes. You see, what's happened when someone, when someone steps into generational giving, it changes the lives of people forever. The ripple effects of generational giving will alter the course of people's lives and affect generations below. The person that steps into generational giving will not get to enjoy all of the stories and all of the fruit of their giving on this side of heaven, but they will celebrate for all eternity. This is, I think, what God is calling us to captivate our heart. What does it look like for me to be a generational giver? God wants my heart, not an amount, not a percentage. In fact, Jesus is never satisfied with reaching a level and then saying, I'm done. The disciples want to know, hey, God, how, much, how many times we got to forgive this person? Seven? Jesus says 77 times. It never ends. Jesus does not expire in grace. It's not like, okay, I gave you grace, but you've been messing up too much. It's over. And our generosity should not end. It should grow and expand as the Lord leads us to, through and above these different levels. And I want to close with this. Why should God be first in your money? Because money has a message to you. It preaches to you and to me. It tells you this. Come and die before me to purchase me. Come and die before me to accumulate me and to store me up. I promise if you just devote your life to me, you're going to have everything you wanted. It is a lie. And Jesus tells you the exact opposite. You know what he says to you and to me? Come and live because I died for you. I died to purchase you. I died to give you freedom. I died to give you 
forgiveness. I died so that even on a topic like money that can be uncomfortable and can be convicting, it can feel heavy, it can feel like a lot, that you do not have to feel any sort of shame or any sort of guilt, no, regardless of your relationship with money in the past. Because I came to die for you, to forgive you, to give you freedom, to give you joy, to give you life, so you can step with excitement into new levels of following me. You see, we, we, we read in Scripture that Jesus, who had all of the wealth and treasure of the world, all the glory of heaven, the creator of everything, that in Philippians 2 it says that he laid aside the glory of heaven. He made himself nothing, becoming a man, God in the flesh that was overlooked all of his life, and then yet he was obedient unto death on the cross. Guess for whose sake he died? You and me. So that we might be free. So that we might see our lives transformed by his grace and his generosity. And that is the life that we're called to live, friends. You see, the example of Jesus is that generosity happens through sacrifice, not because of surplus. Generosity is a life of sacrifice. And there is exaltation in that. Jesus was exalted his life of sacrifice as the mode and the way in which his exaltation took place through being obedient to the point of death and yet he didn't stay dead. He rose victorious on the third day, resurrected and offers to you that same forgiveness, that same life and that same grace. So I pray tonight that as we come to the table of communion and as we sing a song of praise to close, that you would be compelled by the grace of God to ask hard questions, but that you wouldn't walk out this evening feeling any shame or any guilt, yet you'd feel free to consider and to wrestle with God and to pray to God, God, how do I put you first in your money? I want to have healthy eyes. I don't want to be unhealthy. I don't want to go blind. I want to store up treasure in heaven, not on earth. I want to have a vision for eternity, not just the end of my time here when I retire. Give me that vision, God. Give me that heart. Move me with your love and your grace. Because we give, not under compulsion, but out of joy. Cheerfully, because God's given everything to us. Amen?